0: Butts and Guts, a Cleveland Clinic podcast exploring your digestive and surgical health from end to end. So hi, everybody, and welcome again to another episode of Butts and Guts. I'm your host, Scott Steele, the chair of colorectal surgery here at the Cleveland Clinic in beautiful Cleveland, Ohio. And we're very pleased to have Dr. Jeffrey Ponsky here today, who's the Linda and Marlon Yonker Chair in Developmental Endoscopy. Jeff, welcome to Butts and Guts.
1: Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: So we always like to start out with our guests. Uh, l- tell me a little bit about your background and where are you from, where'd you train, how to come to the point where that you're here at the Cleveland Clinic?
1: So I was born in Cleveland, went to Case Western Reserve Medical School, did my training at Case Western Reserve, was the chairman of the Department of Surgery at Mount Sinai Hospital here in Cleveland for 18 years, then came to the Cleveland Clinic as director of minimally invasive surgery. After eight years, moved on to the University Hospitals in Cleveland, where I was the chair of the Department of Surgery for 10 years, and now I'm back at the Cleveland Clinic for the last... Five and a half and a half years
0: well we'll get a little bit into Cleveland later but uh, you've spent a large majority of your life here and we're so glad to have you here at the clinic so for our listeners we're gonna talk about endoscopy today and specifically a little bit more about advanced endoscopy so can you give a general overview of what takes place during an endoscopic examination and we'll get into the procedures a little bit later but just walk us through that
1: well years ago in the beginning of the last century people were interested in what was going on in the gastrointestinal tract and they took rigid tubes and had to contort the patient to, a, to align with these tubes so that they could look inside the esophagus and the colon and it was quite uncomfortable. Then midway through the last century, people developed fiber optic technology which allowed these tubes to be flexible. So then people began to look within the gastrointestinal tract from above and below to assess diseases that they were treating medically, diseases like esophagitis or esophageal cancer or gastric tumors or gastritis, and then the bottom end they were looking at colon cancer and causes of colonic inflammation and diarrhea, for example. Then suddenly... We had the development of therapeutic options through these tubes. People first did little pinch biopsies to assess the activity of the disease and then found out that they could put an electric wire in and surround a polyp, for example, and actually take out a polyp that previously required surgical removal. Uh, They became a bit more brave and took these same technologies to the upper gastrointestinal tract tract and saw bleeding ulcers, for example, which they could coagulate and prevent the need for surgery. And further on, they decided they could take out gallstones from the bile duct by opening up the bottom of the bile duct through the endoscope and pulling out these stones. And these procedures have continued and continued to grow and become more complex.
0: Yeah, it's incredible some of the things, and as technology has driven some of those advances in medicine, like along various different parts of medicine, but... With that as an overview and a background, let's just touch base kind of some high-end, because there's a lot of patients that, you know, get told that they're going to have to have a certain procedure and they go online and they want to know exactly what is this about. And so let's run through a couple of these and just tell us a little bit about what they treat and what uh, can be expected from the patient standpoint. So first of all, kind of a balloon-assisted enteroscopy.
1: Well, very often we have a need to look at the small intestine. That is the spot between the stomach and the colon, and that is a difficult area to assess. And uh, sometimes it's the source of bleeding, can even be the source of a tumor, and it's very difficult to get to. We now have the balloons that go on the outside of these endoscopes, which uh, inflate and deflate and can uh, walk down the intestine a farther degree than we can do with normal scopes and actually look at this and actually allow us to treat certain lesions at these distant areas.
0: Now, uh, just to throw one in here that is not necessarily the same type of procedure we're talking about, but people might hear it, a video capsule endoscopy.
1: So again, this small bowel, again, is an area which we can't get to very well. And so when someone has, for example, bleeding, and we can't find the source with an upper endoscopy or a colonoscopy, we'll often have them swallow a pill that looks like a big capsule. This has a flashing light that takes pictures very often, and it goes onto a, a record, and we can assess the small intestine and look for these uh, otherwise hidden areas that can be bleeding.
0: So when patients get that video capsule endoscopy, that's not one that the doctor actually does something about. They're given a, uh, this one of these small cameras and they do it at home.
1: The capsule is uh, put in or swallowed depending on the, the physician's preference and they wear a monitor on their hip and they bring this back after a couple of days and it's assessed.
0: What about um, kind of an ERCP or endoscopic retrograde cholangiopancreatography.
1: Well, this is what I was referring to before. The, the bile duct empties, the, the carries bile from the gallbladder and liver empties into the first portion of the small intestine called the duodenum, which is in the reach of the upper endoscope. And we've often looked at the little opening that the bile comes out of. And when that bile duct is somehow compromised by a stone or a tumor, we can pass a little tube into the opening at the uh, intestine, inject die, see what the problem is, and very often take care of it. That's called ERCP. We can cut the opening at the bottom and pull stones out. If we see tumors, we can often define them by biopsying them or putting in a little plastic or metal stent to keep the area open. Kind of along the lines of that,
0: uh, endoscopic ultrasound, is that performed at the same time? So this
1: is an area that has really grown in the last two decades. It allows us to look beyond the intestine at the organs next to the intestine, like the bile duct and the pancreas in particular, and the wall of the stomach and adjacent vessels, so that we can see tumors that we wouldn't otherwise recognize just by looking. We can even biopsy them as well. How about a POEM procedure per oral endoscopic myotomy? POEM has become, in the last 10 years, it's really an exciting area because now we've taken the endoscope and we've started to do real surgery through it. Not just looking, not just biopsying, but really operating. And this procedure allows us to take uh, an area of the esophagus where the esophagus is diseased and won't work normally won't open where we'd previously do an operation through the abdomen to cut the muscles of the lower esophagus to allow the food to go through. We can now do it through the mouth by making a tiny incision in the swallowing tube, the esophagus on the inside of the esophagus and wiggling down through the esophagus and actually cutting the muscles and then closing the esophagus on the inside and sending the po- patient home right away, without the need for any surgery through the abdomen at all. A
0: couple of procedures that oftentimes are said together: a EMR or an ESD.
1: So these are alphabet soup that, we're, again, <laughs> we're starting to do real surgery with the endoscope, and this is, the endoscope is the vehicle, like the car that gets you to work, but once we get there, we're doing surgery. So the EMR, endoscopic mucosal resection, if we see a tumor, when we look into the intestine, we can shave it out, that's EMR. But if the tumor is flat and long and broad, we can do an, a better cancer operation or a precancer operation by lifting up that tissue and shaving it out down to the next layer. These have been proven to be safe and effective and again avoid the need for open surgery.
0: So let's take a walk down memory lane and tell us a little bit about maybe the history and uh, something behind a procedure called a PEG tube.
1: Well. <laughs> Again, this was one of the first uh, endoscopic surgical interventions, and we often were called upon 40 years ago, and still are, uh, for patients who can't eat because of uh, neurological problems or oral problems. They need a feeding tube placed in their stomach that required an open operation on the abdomen, Michael Gowder, who's a pediatric surgeon, and myself were lucky enough to think of a procedure where we could use the endoscope to guide a needle puncture of the abdomen and put a tube right into the abdominal wall, into the stomach without the need for surgery. This is called a PEG, percutaneous endoscopic gastrostomy. It remains much unchanged today, but it really the significance of it is it told us we could do surgery using the endoscope as a vehicle.
0: What were you doing when you guys kind of thought of that particular procedure? Did it just kind of hit, your light bulb shine on, or was it kind of a gradual
1: evolution? The light bulb is a good analogy because we actually were doing this in very little babies who had brain damaged. Uh, births and they uh, required endoscopy for some reason or other. The room lights were dimmed and we saw this bright shining light coming through their abdomen and we pushed with our finger. We realized we were in close contact with the stomach and we uh, realized that if we put a needle through there we could uh, accomplish the procedure. So the light did lead us to the method.
0: That's actually a fantastic story. So I know a lot of these procedures are performed maybe when a patient is admitted to the hospital, but a lot of them are done, as you said earlier, as an outpatient. So let's let's take those scenario first where a patient's an outpatient, they see their physician or their gastrologist or their surgeon, and they're told they need one of these procedures. Walk me through what a patient will have to do. Do they all have to have a bowel prep? Are they kept NPO? And what are some of the risks of these particular operations?
1: Well, this is surgery, as I said before. The endoscope is the vehicle that gets us there. But now you're dealing with surgery. And everything we do to anybody has certain risks. And always bleeding or puncture or perforation are those risks or infection. We're starting to do these procedures as outpatients in many cases. And some of the newer procedures we're doing are very bold and very advanced. For example, we are able to open the bottom of the stomach, called the pylorus, and open that muscle in the same way we do with the poem in the intramural space inside the wall. We cut the thick muscle that won't open, clip it closed, and the patient goes home the same day, and their stomach empties better. That's an outpatient procedure. The only preparation is a liquid diet for two days before and afterward they stay on a liquid diet for a week. Similar procedures are done. We have patients who have outpouchings in their neck called Zenker's diverticulum, which required a big operation in the neck before. Again, we do this through the mouth now. We make a little incision inside the back of the throat. We cut the thick muscle that's holding back the swallowing and clip it closed, and the patient can go home right away. Again, the preparation is a couple days of liquids before the surgery and a week of liquids after. We are learning to do these procedures as outpatients or overnight stays in almost every case.
0: So when you take a look at a lot of these different procedures, um, where do you think we're going to go on the horizon? I've read everything from, you know, taking care of uh, bowel connection or anastomotic leaks. I've read about weight loss surgery. We've done this. So wh- what's the next steps in terms of this? As, uh, as a surgeon, am I going to have to be worried about my future job? And Yes. Uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> everything that we do surgically today is being looked at in a less invasive, endoscopically guided fashion. And in the future, again, much like in regular surgery, robotics will play a role. This will be image-guided surgery, robotically assisted surgery, even robotically controlled surgery, which will make the movements more precise and give us better results. So, We're in a a transition stage now, technology, innovation, and human thought will lead us to less invasive ways to do surgery. The way we do surgery today is not anything like we did a hundred years ago, nor will it be in a hundred more years.
0: So take a look at what's happening here at the Cleveland Clinic and with your team of surgical endoscopists and, you know, what research are you going on right now and what can we see coming out of the clinic?
1: So we're doing uh, evaluation of these procedures. It's not enough to just come up with a new procedure. We're constantly improving these procedures that I spoke to you about, this intramural surgery. We're improving them, we're perfecting them, and we're using integration of new technology in these procedures to improve their results.
0: Well, that's actually fantastic stuff. And so we always like to wind up with each of our guests a little bit about yourself with some quick hitters. So Jeff, what's your favorite meal? sloppy joes (laughs) (laughs) and what's your favorite sport i like watching football what's the last non-medical book that you've read
1: oh i read a lot of them i uh the last one i read was founding fathers uh which is a great history of the united states in the early years
0: and as we said at the beginning of this podcast you have a long history here in cleveland tell one of the things uh to the listeners that you really enjoy about cleveland
1: Cleveland is a wonderful place to raise a family. I have four children and 10 grandchildren, all based in Cleveland, and it's a wonderful place to have them grow up and enjoy each other as we all have great careers. I could not
0: agree more. So, Jeff, final
1: thoughts on surgical endoscopy for our listeners. Surgical endoscopy is just another way to do surgery, Uh, much as we do a cystoscopy in the bladder or any other type of ear, nose, and throat surgery, the endoscope is the vehicle which gets us to the place where we have to do the surgery. We're constantly evolving this. Fantastic stuff. So for more information on
0: endoscopic or other gastrointestinal procedures at the Cleveland Clinic, please visit clevelandclinic.org clevelandclinic.org/digestive, digestive. That's clevelandclinic.org digestive. D-I-G-E-S-T-I-V-E. And to make an appointment with a specialist in the Digestive Disease and Surgery Institute, please call 216-444-7000. That's 216-444-7000. Jeff, thanks for joining us on Butts and Guts.
1: My pleasure.
0: That wraps things up here at Cleveland Clinic. Until next time, thanks for listening to Butts and
1: Guts.